0: Amen. Well, good morning. If you are a first-time guest with us, uh, my name is Chad. I'm the student and worship uh, pastor, and so our lead pastor, Joe, is, is uh, in Central Asia right now with a team from Central Asia, and they're, they're getting back on Tuesday, and Sarah couldn't be happier, I'm sure, uh, and, uh, and uh, probably other family members as well. And so... Um, So uh, that's where uh, Joe is. Our uh, associate pastor, John, and his wife, Raluca, and family are uh, on sabbatical for the month of July, and they've been traveling uh, to visit family and doing some different things and just resting and recuperating. So you are down to me this morning. (laughs) And so if you are a a guest with us, uh, that's what's going on. So we're going to, as, as uh, Jeff mentioned, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 10. Go ahead and make your way there if you haven't already. As Jeff said, it's on page 946 in the, in the Pew Bibles in front of you, and we're going to be in chapter 10. Uh, John McKay is one of the greatest uh, head football coaches in college football history. Uh, in 16 seasons at USC... He had a 127 wins, 40 losses, and eight tie record. Uh, he he racked up uh, nine. What was then the Pack Eight, which is now the Pack Ten, or I don't know that they, they all have pack numbers, and then they don't have the same number of teams in their. I don't know what. So anyway, whatever it is, is, Ten conference titles. So he racked up nine of those. During his time, he went to the Rose Bowl eight times and won five of those. And, and during his time, during those 16 years, captured four national championships at the University of Southern California. In 1976, he decided to take on a new challenge. There was an expansion team coming to the NFL in the city of Tampa Bay, and so they decided to reach out to him and, and have him uh, become their first head coach. He was also hired as president of their football operations there. And so he went about putting together a, a plan to bring uh, great football to the city of Tampa Bay. He brought some of the best coaches. He brought people in that he trusted. They went about scouting players and and uh, and going through the expansion draft and the and the regular draft and all the things that you have to do when you're uh, starting from scratch there. And on September twelfth, nineteen seventy six, they played their first game against the Houston Oilers. They lost that game, as well as the next twenty five games. That season, the first season, was one of the worst seasons any professional football team had ever had. They were pretty much dead last in every statistical category. And so you can imagine being a reporter and having to come to John McKay week after week after week after losing a game. And so one day after a particularly bad loss they're sitting in a pretty somber uh, locker room, and, and a reporter asked John McKay. He's probably out of ideas, so he just asked him, Coach, do you, you have any, any thoughts on your, on your team's execution? And John McKay paused for a moment. and He said, After today, I think it's a really good idea. <laughs> That'll sink in for some of you on the way home. Sometimes the plans that we put together don't work out like we had hoped. But thankfully, God's plans are not our plans. Now, I want us today to try to wrap our brains around a couple of different numbers, okay? The first number that we're going to wrap our brains around is the number 7.6 billion. 7.6 billion. 7.6 billion is the population of the planet Earth, give or take a few. Now, when we throw words out like billion, our brains really have a hard time grasping that because we hear it a lot. You know, the government spent a billion dollars on toilet seats or whatever, whatever it is that they spend money on. The government spent a billion dollars on this or 10 billion dollars on this. We just have a hard time grasping how much a billion is. And so, if you wanted to count to 1 billion, and you just started counting now, 1, 2, 3, 4, it would take you 31 years, 251 days, 7 hours, 46 min- minutes, and 40 seconds to count to 1 billion. 7.6... Billion people on the earth. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, Paul is asking us here an important question. Jeff read the the text, but let's read that again. We're just going to focus on verses 13 through 15. So if you've got your Bibles handy, Let's look at that again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, just to kind of get us a little background on the book of Romans, when we look at the book of Romans, basically through the book of Romans, Paul is walking us through the gospel. Okay, so chapter one all people are sinners. Chapter two, the Mosaic law, though good and holy, cannot counteract the power of sin. Chapter three, through the righteousness of God, sin is judged and salvation is provided. And chapter four, with the coming of Jesus, the former age of redemptive history has passed away. The new age of redemptive history has begun. Chapter five, the atoning death of Jesus Christ is central to God's plan for salvation Chapter 6, justification is by faith alone. Chapter 7, there's a certain hope of future glory for those who are in Christ. Chapter 8, one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, uh, we are to live a new life in Christ. In chapter 9, God is sovereign in salvation. And so now, here we are in chapter 10, and Paul is asking us an important question here. What is the plan for taking the message of Christ, the gospel, to 7.6 billion people? Now, I emphasize the word people here because each time we look at numbers like this and our brain gets all foggy, we tend to forget that each one of these numbers Represents a person. Each one of these numbers represents a person created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. A person that will spend eternity in one of two places. either in the presence of God worshiping and enjoying him forever. Or separated from him for all eternity. In a place called hell. Every person. Every person in this room. Every person in your household. Every person in your neighborhood, in your community, in the state, in the world, every person you know will spend eternity in one of two places. Now I want to throw another number at you two billion. All right, we talked about a minute ago. kind of got the idea of a billion, so just as a reminder, to count to two billion would take about 63 years. Two billion people on the planet have never heard the name Jesus. Never heard the name Jesus. They're considered unreached and what this means is that less than 2% of their population is christian and in many times less than 0.2 of their population what does this mean this means they have zero access to the gospel zero there are no churches There are no Bibles. There's no Christians. Zero access to the gospel. Now, I think as Americans, we have a hard time relating to this. And especially as Americans in the South. Because we have churches everywhere. Everywhere. Drive down Nolensville Road. Just drive down Noble Road and there's churches everywhere. Even in our little community. Churches everywhere. Which is good. It's a good thing. But We have Christian bookstores. We have Christian radio stations. We have Christian movies. Christian TV programs. Heaven help us. We even have Chick-fil-A. I mean... You can go in there and get that Muzak version of all your Christian favorite songs. I mean, it's everywhere. We have access to the gospel everywhere. And so the idea that even if one of these two billion people wanted to know about Jesus, even if they wanted to know about Jesus, there's nobody to tell them. There's no Bible in their language. They would have to learn a different language to read the Bible to learn about Jesus. Let that sink in. And we got Bibles everywhere. If you're ever looking for a good Bible, the Lost and Found is a great place. There's some really good ones in there. If you ever it's right out there on the back corner. I mean, there are Bibles everywhere here. So we we have a hard time grasping this concept. And even closer to home, in the metro Nashville area, there's about 1.9 million people and growing by some estimates say 100 per day. I saw a meme pop up on one of my feeds the other day that was a skyline of Nashville and it just said, Nashville's full, try Chattanooga. (laughs) And I was like, yes, that is true. If you drive down I-24, Nashville is full. But in metro Nashville area, we have 92 people groups. 92 people groups. 30 of those people groups are unreached. There are over 150 different languages spoken every day in Nashville. And out of... That 1.9 million people, 937,500,000 of them, if they died today, would spend eternity separated from God. Yes, Lord. (laughs) 937,500 of them, if they died today, would spend eternity separated from God. That would fill Nissan Stadium 14 times. Just to give you a picture. And so what is the plan for reaching these people for the gospel? What's Paul talking about in verses 13 through 15? David Platt is a, is a pastor of McLean Bible Church and from the moment is the president of the IMB, although he will be stepping down as soon as they can find a replacement for him. And he wrote a book, Radical, and I think he says it best in that book. We are plan A. And there is no plan B. We are plan A. And there is no plan B. You are the plan, church. I am the plan. We are the plan for reaching 7.6 billion people. All right, I'm going to, as a student pastor, I like participation, so I want participation here. How many of you were led to Christ by another believer? Yeah, look around. Everybody, keep your hands up. Look around. You were led to Christ. Somebody told you about Jesus and that's how you came came to Christ. Yeah. Yeah, just about every... That's the way it works. That's how it works. I mean, yes, I have heard stories of God appearing to people in dreams and, and other you know things like that. I've heard stories of people going into a hotel room and grabbing the Bible and and reading the Bible and being saved that way, but it took a a Christian to put that Bible there. A Gideon put that Bible there. The overwhelming majority of people are led to Christ by other Christians. So our mission statement here at Providence, it's on the wall as uh, as you walk out there. Our mission statement here is at Providence is we exist to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. And we live this out by gathering, as we're doing today, gathering as a body of Christ, coming together, uh, iron sharpening iron, hearing the word of God preached uh, sharing each other's burdens, holding each other accountable. We gather this. This gathering is the most important thing that we as a church do. And that's why we put a lot of emphasis on this gathering. So we do that by gathering. We do that by growing. We grow in groups, small groups, Sunday school, uh, men's and women's groups. And we, we are to also grow uh, individually, grow uh, as, we, as we study the word daily, we, we, we live this out by serving, by serving our church. So if you're a member of this church, you need to have a place of service in this church. We do that by serving in the church and serving our community. We serve our community in a number of different ways. And we do this by Going. By going. Going where? Well, John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. And so our purpose is to go and make worshipers of God. Go where? We go to our neighbors, to the person. Right beside you, where you live. Person across the street, where you live. Person at the coffee shop. The person at your daughter's dance recitals. Uh, whatever it is that you do, those people are your, are your neighbors. So we do it by going to our neighbors and going to the nations. Going to Central Asia. Going to the Dominican Republic. Going to Peru. Going to any place that God puts a burden on your heart. And yes, Going to these places that are unreached. I mean, I have a I, you know, we've been praying for a long time that God would call somebody in this church, a couple, a, a single, whatever, to go to an unreached people and to live among them. I mean, your your church leaders have been praying for that for a long time. Jesus gave us this command in, in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen: Go, therefore, and make disciples of where all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go. And the word Christian, which is the, the title that we take on when we become a a follower of Christ, the word Christian means little Christ. And it was actually meant as a derogatory statement at its inception because the people that thought Christianity was ridiculous would look at them and go, look at those little Christ. They're running around trying to be like Jesus. When in reality, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be imitators of Christ. And so the life that Jesus lived, is now to be lived out through us. To be lived out through us. And so to understand that we are the plan, understand what Paul is talking about here, we're going to look at a couple of different truths, a couple of different ideas that we find in the book of John. Now, the first idea is that we are to go. Okay, we saw that in Matthew. We see that also in the book of John. And the book of John puts it this way because Jesus was sent. 42 times in the book of John, it refers to Jesus as being sent. Jesus was sent here on a mission. Sent for what? Well, that's the second truth. Jesus was sent here as light to the world. As light to the world. So if we look at John 12, through 46, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it, but if you'd like to, John 12, through 46, says Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in In me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light. And so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, I would love at some point for... Dr. Fred, to come up here and just talk to us about the creation of the human eye. What an amazing thing the human eye is. I'm not going to tempt it, but just a, a little, you know, so the human eye basically takes in light and it turns it into electrodes and it transmits it to the brain and, and that creates vision, But the key to vision is light, and no time is that more evident than when there's an absence of light. When I was a, a kid, I used to go to this. We used to take trips to this place called Cumberland Caverns. All right, Cumberland Caverns is up around like McMinnville area. It's pretty close to where I where I grew up, and we used to take trips up there and we would spend the night in the cave and we would take this thing they called the wild tour. And I don't know if it's still there. It seems like it would be, it would seems like it would be a liability nightmare these days, but, uh, but they would do this thing called the wild tour. And I just remember like they had this little box, uh, this little box that was made of two by fours and you had to like be able to fit through the box or you couldn't go on the tour. Because the box represented the smallest places that you were going to have to crawl through on the tour. And if you couldn't do that, then you couldn't go. And I remember the first time thinking, really? This is like, really? I, I couldn't go today, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, but, um, but anyway, we went on the tour. And so, and so we had this, uh, so they would make you like, you know, carry a flashlight and then a backup light. So just in case the one went out, you had to have two different lights. And so we would, we would crawl through these places. And, I mean, you would get in these positions and, like, you know, pull yourself through. And, and, and it was crazy. But, but uh, you know, we would get to this place and they would say, all right, everybody turn out your flashlights. So we turn out the light and they'd say, just crawl straight ahead. So we crawl straight ahead. And then you get to this place and you realize you're in this room because it sounds like you know there's water dripping over here and there's you know it's echoey and all this so you kind of know you're in a room but you just have no idea because there's no light at all like you, you're sitting here going <laughs> as a kid you know you're like I can't see my hand in front of my face and and it's I mean literally like you you hear that saying but you could not see your hand in front of your face and then they start talking about they start talking about the how they found the caves or I don't know some kind of history thing I was too always too infatuated with where I was and what was going on. And then in the middle of all that, they just strike a match. And it's almost blinding when they strike the match because you're, you know, your pupils are like this big, just trying to capture any kind of light. And then that, and you know, it, it, it seizes up. And it's, it's almost blinding. Light is what makes vision possible. And the same is true spiritually. The Bible talks about light as the true knowledge of God. Look again at Romans 10, 14. How? Then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Left to ourselves, we would never discover God. Romans 3 says we have no desire to search for Him. Apart from the prompting Of the Holy Spirit. And so when we were in the darkness of this cave, I mean, I couldn't in a million years found my way out of this place without light. And throughout the Old Testament, God was progressively making Himself known. Revealing Himself. Until... Jesus came. And we see all that God is in Christ. And we see all that He is incarnate, in flesh. Jesus fully revealed the truth about God and how we could know Him personally. And Jesus, just back again in John chapter 12, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me and whoever believe, and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And then in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. You are the plan. I am the plan. And this is what Paul is asking us in Romans 10, 14. Are we to live on? mission one pastor I said I read this week says it this way God invited you to a relationship with him because he loves you he also invited you into a relationship because he loves the people around you we say it all the time you live where you live you work where you work. You play where you play. You shop where you shop. Your kids on the ball team that they're on or the soccer team that they're on because God, in His divine sovereignty, placed you there. You might think, yeah, I really like this floor plan or this neighborhood or the schools are good here. Those things may be true, but God. And His divine sovereignty placed you there because He loves you and He loves those people around you and He wants you to be a light in their lives. Just let that sink in. He wants you to be a light in their lives. You are the plan. He loves those people, so he placed you there. So what does that look like? What does that mean? If you, uh, if you have a bulletin, there's three points in there. Point number one is so when we look at this how do do we do this? You don't. God does. Now I know some of you are just sitting there going dude you just wrecked your whole sermon there. No. Just track with me here for for just a minute. This is so freeing when we get this. It is God that draws people unto himself. It is God that draws people unto himself. It is not based on you saying the right thing. It's not based on a course that you took to learn how to evangelize people. The most important ability that you can bring is availability. And so start the conversation. Start the relationship. Invite somebody to your house for dinner. Sit beside this person at the ball field or in the stands or at the dance recital or at the dance rehearsal or whatever it is that you're doing start the conversation and then let God lead let God move God's not waiting on you to do something for him he's not sitting up there going man I sure hope he says this (sighs) oh he blew it Oh, he missed it. No, God brought us in a relationship to do something through us. All he's looking for is your availability and your willingness to do it. Number two, God does it as I worship and enjoy Him. God does it as I worship and enjoy Him. John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. We are compelled to go to our neighbors and to the nations when our satisfaction is in Christ. It's an overflowing... of our relationship and our love for the Savior. It pours out of us. We can't help it. When our satisfaction is based in Him, when our satisfaction is based in something other than Christ, then that's where our focus goes. That's where our time goes. That's where our Dedication goes, that's where our money goes. If we are focusing on things and, and good things, but if they become God things, then they become bad things. God little g. We are compelled to go to our neighbors and to the nations when our satisfaction is in Christ. Clyde Cransford says it this way, This is real Christianity. A spontaneous overflow of the life of Christ through us. Number three, God does it through our walk and our words. God does it through our walk and our words. Yes, we want people to see the way we live. And we want to be a people that look differently, we want to be a people that love differently. But it can't just be that. Look at verse 14 again. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in in Him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We need to understand that Everyone who is a believer is a minister to Christ. Now, there are some of us who do that vocationally, but we are all called to be ministers of Christ. We are all called to preach the gospel. We are all called to proclaim. Do you think Paul is writing this just to pastors? Just because it uses the word preaching? No, we're all to preach the gospel we have to use words we have to tell people now a little bit ago we read matthew 28:19 it says go ye therefore and make disciples and you know sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on the word "go," and but in the in the Greek, the the emphasis is on make disciples and not go. And the word "go" mo- is modifying "make disciples." So it's it's really good to think of it this way. Because a lot of times when we when we hear the word "go," we automatically think it means "go." Well, it does it does mean that, but it also means It could be better translated as, as you go. As you go. So as you go to the office. As you go to your neighbors. As you go to the gym. As you go to the ball field. Yes, as you go to the nations. Wherever you go, make Disciples. Make disciples. We have to see ourselves the way that, that Jesus is described as being a people that are sent for a mission. See yourselves as missionaries because you are. The world wants to see that what we have is better than what they have. 7.6 billion people in the world. And all of them, as Joe said a couple of weeks ago, all of them will glorify God. All of us will glorify God. We will either glorify God as a trophy of His grace and mercy or as an object of His justice. Either way, we will glorify God. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Church, you are the plan. You are plan A, and there is no plan B. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, I Father, I pray Lord, for all of us as we <clears throat> as we think on, on these things. Father, as we think about Those people around us who, those people in our jobs, those people in our neighborhoods, those people, Father, that we see all the time, but for some reason don't see ourselves as called to tell them the good news. And Father, I am so guilty of that. How often do I miss opportunities? But Father, I pray that you would break our hearts for those people around us, that you would break our hearts for our neighbors, our coworkers. our friends so father that we would be bold to do what you called us to do that as we go that as we go we would make disciples father thank you for sending your son be light so that we no longer have to dwell in darkness. And Father, we just thank you. Let us join together and sing that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than what the world has to offer, and Father, let us sing this with conviction and with, Lord, with, um, with hope.